Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we begin a new mini-series from the book of Genesis on the life of Jacob. We ask ourselves, what does it mean to forgive? As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. Now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. a Bible. We're going to be in, uh, you can crack open your new Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 25 uh, this morning, Genesis 25. And if I've yet to meet you, my name is Tim. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's supposed to rain at some point in the service. And so uh, last week, I, uh, it was a second service. I thought I heard thunder. And afterwards, everyone, so I said, is that thunder? And everyone afterwards says, said to me, like, oh, you're just hearing things, which it's probably also true, but this time I think we might hear thunder. Uh, we'll be in Genesis 25. Uh, for the last six months or so, we have been working uh, story by story, uh, chapter by chapter, sometimes even line by line through the book of Genesis. And uh, we've been introduced to all of these heroes of our faith, uh, Abraham and Isaac. And, uh, and um, we've seen that they're heroes, absolutely, but they're also in many ways, they're just people. And uh, in many ways, our heroes of our faith are also deeply flawed people. And, uh, and we've been noticing how God will use average, ordinary people, people that have gone through trauma, who have been wounded, uh, humans. And he'll use people to move his story forward. Uh, last week, um, if you're with us, we wrapped up a kind of three-week series on the life of Isaac, uh, Abraham's son Isaac, and we talked specifically about trauma, and uh, it was admittedly heavy stuff. Uh, I recognize that as I was speaking. I'm like, this is pretty heavy stuff for a summer, um, but hopefully relevant stuff. Uh, and in many ways, that story's not done. You can almost see this story is kind of part two of, la- of the last series. Uh, Isaac's story is certainly not done, but also the story of trauma doesn't have to end simply with the wound or the trauma. And so this morning, we're going to turn the page to the next character in our story, a guy by the name of Jacob. Um, we've talked about trauma, but what happens after the trauma? Uh, is it possible that we can get to a spot where we say, I forgive you? Um, or is it, is it even possible that we can we can say to ourselves, uh, I, I forgive myself. Um, how, do we, how do we move on? How do we release it? Uh, it maybe, maybe you're someone who holds a lot of regret. It's something you did, uh, something you said, um, or something that you didn't do, or something that you didn't say. And uh, every time that thing comes up, or those series of things comes up, uh, you get like this sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. Uh, like that feeling you're going you're, you're to be sick. And uh, you actually get angry with yourself. Uh, and um, maybe you're thinking, but, you know, the damage is already done. They'll never forgive me. And, uh, and that may be true. It may be true. Uh, we actually, uh, unfortunately, cannot control how people respond to us. However, uh, while we may not be able to change how they see us, people's memories can be long. Um, while we may not be able to change how they see us, we can change how we see ourselves, and especially as a child of God, we can change how we see ourselves. So whether you're uh, the victim of trauma, which again, last week we said at some level, not equally, but at some level, we all are, um, or somebody who's just living with regrets from decisions in the past, which again, is something we all do. Uh, so whether, which camp 
you're in this morning, which is the loudest to you. Uh, how do we, what I want to wrestle with over this week and the next six weeks is how do we move past this? Uh, how do we release this? How do we continue to live our lives without that thing kind of following us everywhere we go? Uh, the, the thing being the very first thing you wake up in the morning thinking about. How do we move past that? Um, but uh, maybe, maybe you've developed all these like elaborate coping mechanisms so that you don't have to think about it. That, that tends to be pretty normal, right? We tend to, uh, especially if we're the one who hurt somebody else, uh, we tend to develop all these elaborate uh, just a carry on with life coping strategies. If I get really busy and dive into my work, then maybe for a moment I think about that and I'm not thinking about this. Um, or maybe it's a substance, right? Like if I just uh, drink enough, eat enough sugar, have enough caffeine, uh, eat enough gummies, whatever the thing is, uh, then maybe for a moment I cannot think about it. And uh, for a moment, certainly you uh, can have a moment where the coping strategies take your mind off of it. But then you wake up the next day and you feel worse. Um, what you want is a magic pill that you could take so that it's just gone. Um, but while there is no magic pill, there is a process. And uh, it's a process that has been studied by some of the smartest brains in our world, uh, some of the smartest psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, some of the smartest physicians, they've studied this process. Um, but it's not just a process that exists in academic spheres or in uh, the medical spheres of our world. Uh, this is a process that goes all the way back to the scriptures. Your Bible talks about this particular process again and again and again and again and again and again. It matters to God and, he, and uh, the people of God have talked about it throughout history. Um, and in fact, they do more than just talk about it. They commanded it. Uh, and that process is the process of what we call forgiveness. Um, that word forgiveness is uh, in the Greek is the word aphiami. Aphiami. Aphiami literally means, so when you see forgive in the New Testament, uh, it literally means to, to forgive or to permit, release, or abandon. Uh, in other words, to forgive is to cease to give that thing permission over every one of your thoughts. It's to release it. Or to abandon it, to, to move past it. Uh, now, a um, couple myths about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean, and we're going to spend some probably a whole week just talking about this, but forgiveness does not mean uh, forgive and forget. We often say that, right? We'll say like, oh, just forgive and forget. Um, that's how you move on. You just forget about it. You, you blunt it from your brain. Uh, unfortunately, we cannot choose what we remember and what we don't remember, right? That we don't have control over that. We don't get to choose that. Um, so forgiveness does not necessarily mean you forget it. In fact, most of the time, we're supposed to grow from our, our wounds, and we're supposed to grow from the ways we've wounded others. We're supposed to change and like mature from it all. Uh, and so um, we can't control our memories, but we still can forgive. So forgiveness does not necessarily mean forgive and forget. That's the first myth. And then the other myth about forgiveness is that forgiveness is simply something we offer to somebody else. We'll say, I forgive you, and it's like a, it's a thing we give them. And, and in, in which case, a lot, a lot of times when we think about forgiveness, it's simply, can I now forgive them? Um, which would be to release them from it. But first and foremost, forgiveness uh, is not simply something we offer to someone else. It is something, forgiveness uh, is something that we release from within ourselves. It's why the Bible can command it as something you do. Uh, because it's, 
It's essentially allowing them to rent headspace or that action to rent headspace inside of your brain. Uh, forgiveness is simply the decision um, and the the submission to God to say, God, I have to let this go. I can't carry this around with me. Uh, Jesus, uh, in his most famous prayer that we call the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus will say, forgive us our debts or trespasses or sins or mistakes, whatever word you'd use there, uh, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Uh, so in other words, Jesus will link uh, our ability to forgive them is linked to our ability to receive forgiveness. Uh, and that is hard. It sounds easy. It's actually really easy to say um, until you come face to face with the wound, with the ways you've wounded. Um, and then that's much diffi- more difficult. That's why we're going to spend six weeks uh, on forgiveness, thinking about forgiveness together. And what is it? Is it possible to utter the words, I forgive you, and actually mean that? Uh, is it possible um, to say that even looking into the face of some of our deepest pain? Um, is it possible that we can actually get to a place where we are uh, able to say to the people who hurt us most, I release it. I forgive you. Um, and even when that person is ourselves. Um, now, uh, a, a warning at the top. Uh, we're going to spend six weeks uh, looking at this Old Testament story of Jacob and Esau. And uh, I'm telling you, the story is absolutely beautiful. I, I find this to be one of the most touching stories in our entire Bible. Um, it is a heavy story. Again, it it's a really difficult story. This particular story is really difficult. There are details in the story that are easy to read past, um, but if we actually slow down and read them, it, they're, they're really quite powerful details. Uh, this particular story is uh, really personal to me. Um, uh, actually, this, this past week, I was uh, early for a meeting, and I was sitting in the parking lot outside of Qdoba, just up the street, the new Qdoba, uh, and uh, I was sitting out there waiting, and uh, I thought, I got a few extra minutes, I'm going to read through the story, just read the story again. And I found myself sitting in the car reading the story, and certain lines were jumping out at me from this story. And uh, I'm in the parking lot, and I'm reading the story, and I'm getting emotional, um, like like that that almost crying kind of like, why am I so sad? Anybody ever, you ever had a time where you read a story and you're like, what is what is wrong with me? Like what is like it was right there the whole time. Uh, this like this emotion was right there, and this story brought it to the surface. Um, now this isn't. That wasn't the first time I read the story, not even the first time that week that I read the story. Uh, this is a story that I grew up with. Uh, if you grew up in the church, you probably grew up hearing the story of Jacob and Esau. And uh, and it's a story that many of us are really familiar with. Um, and yet, like most of our, of our greatest stories, the story hasn't changed, but we change. And so when we come back to the story, so maybe you've discovered like there's a story that you grew up with or a story that you've heard before and you read it and you know it and you could probably tell the story, but then you come back to it years later and you read the story and now something happened in your life and you're a different person. And so you read that story now and it's like all of these new emotions come to the surface because while it was still the same story then, you're different. Uh, when I was, uh, I went to Hope College, it's the better of the local schools. Yeah, thank you. I went to Hope College for my undergrad, and I um, uh, I was thinking about this uh, after that moment, um, but I have this vivid memory of walking into my uh, fr- friend's apartment. I was a junior at the time, and uh, his name was Ben. He was also a junior, and he was sitting on a couch, like kind of almost curled up on a couch, uh, and he was reading this big old like the college couches, like the disgusting couches that people leave on the curb, and then you see it, and you're like, I'll take you. Um, and uh, and he was sitting on one of those couches, and he's reading this book 
uh, called To Kill a Mockingbird. You've, you've heard of To Kill a Mockingbird? Uh, it's a book that many of us read in ninth grade English class, right? Like it's one of the requirements uh, that you have to read, at least when I was in school, it was one of the, one of the books. And uh, often when you're reading it in ninth grade English class, you're just reading it to pass the test, right? You're trying to get the name straight. Um, Boo Radley, Atticus Finch. And you're just reading it to kind of, like, I have a test coming up on this. Um, or if you were uh, like me in, in high school, you first asked the question, is there a movie that's been made about this, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my uh, local blockbuster and I'm going to find the movie and uh, I will watch the movie and hope they didn't change too much in the movie from the book and then I'll maybe pass the test. Uh, anyone, anyone guilty of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, what is a, mom, what's a blockbuster? Yeah, yeah. It's a different, different era. Um, but, uh, here's the thing. I, uh, I went in to my, um, my friend Ben's apartment and he's reading this book. And the reason I'd gone to his apartment, uh, we were not roommates, but, um, he was a good friend. And, uh, the reason I went to his apartment is because I was with him an hour or two earlier. We, uh, were at the gym together and we're, we're working out at the gym and, uh, a guy who I think was trying to be funny. Okay, I think I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he thought this moment was funny, but he um, had seen my friend Ben, who was just this, this incredible athlete, and he had seen him working out, and his his words to him were, what is it with all of you N-words? Are you all athletes? And then he laughed. And uh, Ben laughed. But like you could just tell that that Ben was not like laughing inside, and uh, and uh, we wrapped up. He went back. I thought I should go check on him, and now he's sitting in his uh, apartment on this old, ugly red couch, and he's reading this book that uh, we all had read back in ninth grade. And um, this kind of stud athlete, uh, one of the 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 most fun, one of the funniest, one of the most charismatic men I knew uh, is just sitting on this couch and he's just a mess. There are some stories that you read and uh, when you first read them, they're powerful. Um, they're interesting maybe even, but, but they don't really shake you until something in your life happens and then you find yourself, those old words, I need those old words. There's something in that old story that resonates with something that I'm going through in this particular moment. Some stories do that. Maybe you've got a movie where it's like every time I, uh, the first time I watched that movie, I thought this is a great movie, but now I go back to that movie and it's like, oh wow, that movie is someone in Hollywood figured out exactly the struggle that my family's going through right now and they put it on film and now I go back to that movie and it's like that movie is is pastoring me in some way. Or uh, it's a song that you heard and you used to sing along to it in the car and it was fun and now you go back to that song and it's like, wow, that song is, is speaking to me in, in some way. The story of Jacob and Esau, for me, is one of those stories that the older I get and the more wounds that I have received and the more wounds that I have given, um, the more people that I have personally hurt, the more I find the details in this story to be quite uh, helpful, to be quite humbling. Uh, in fact, um, if you're like me, this whole COVID season, that uh, this, this past like four years or three years or whatever it's been, uh, the whole COVID season was one where I absorbed some things. I'm guessing you absorbed some things too. Uh, just the, the thing in the air around us kind of got absorbed, but most likely there's somebody in your life 
who um, there was like words that were exchanged and, uh, and that kind of got into you. Um, uh, and maybe you even reacted. I, I found myself in times uh, reacting and we're never at our best when we're reacting, right? We're never at our best when we're, when we're uh, just flying off the handle and saying the first thing that comes to our mind. Often we do damage and I've had moments uh, during the COVID season where friendships or relationships I was in, I just reacted to something that was said and I, uh, I still live with those wounds. And what do you do with that? I find that the story of Jacob and Esau is a helpful, beautiful, and humbling mirror to look into. And my hunch is that I am not alone in it. I think what you'll discover in the story is that there are some lines, if, especially if you haven't read this story as an adult. Uh, if it's just one of those stories that you tell your kids because you know most of the story, but you actually haven't sat down and read the story as an adult, uh, there's a good chance that there's some things in here that uh, you will discover that you could not appreciate fully when you were a kid, but now as you've exchanged wounds, you've received some, you've given some, uh, there's things in the story that as you're, you've gotten older will resonate at a different level. Um, my, my guess is this one might, might resonate with you. Um, not only is this a, a story of betrayal and pain and loss, this story is also a story of hope, this story is also a story of restoration. And most inform- first and foremost, this story is a story of forgiveness. This morning, before we can uh, talk about forgiveness, um, I want to I first take an honest look once again at the wound, the thing, the moment, the word. Uh, I, I want to take a, a, a moment to look at the thing that wounded us deeply. Uh, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about trauma, and we've given the same homework every week. Uh, our goal in that series, we said, was simply to acknowledge a trauma. Um, I said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about releasing it. We'll talk about forgiveness, why the Bible would command such a thing, even with the deepest pains you feel. We'll talk about that. But, but the trauma series was, okay, can we just acknowledge it? Can we recognize that we have something in us, something that maybe we don't even talk to our spouse about? Maybe we don't even talk to our parents about. It's just a thing we've, we felt. Uh, I want to, now that we've, rec- hopefully you've done the interior work. Um, now that we've recognized it, I want to confront it. I want to uh, spend this week uh, simply looking at the wound, the thing that buries itself in us, the thing that has caused so much resentment, the thing that has affected how we see everything, the world. Uh, maybe it's even made us angry. Uh, maybe it's even, even made us hate. Uh, we talked about this last week. Uh, a group of people. Um, and uh, it's in there somewhere. There's pain, we said last word that, Last week, if you peel the layers back on that stuff, there's pain there somewhere. It's almost always started by pain. Uh, I believe that Jesus wants to set us free from carrying that pain everywhere we go. Uh, And the process that the Bible gives us is a process called forgiveness. Now, with that lengthy introduction, would you look with me at Genesis 25, verse 19? It's a familiar story for many of us. Um, but I think there's some details that will stand out. Uh, Genesis 25, verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padam Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered her, his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, 
This is a familiar quote from many moms, I'm sure. Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, and his hand with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So again, there's a 20-year waiting period for kids. We read the, they don't have kids, but they pray. It's a 20-year waiting period. There's a lot of pain there. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. And then we read this, this line. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, Loved Esau, but Rebecca, mom, loved Jacob. So already you see that the story is like, okay, this story is filled with some pain. Uh, we have infertility. We've seen this pop up a number of times already in the story of Genesis. There's infertility. They can't have kids. But then uh, by an act of God, they pray and they get pregnant. Doesn't always work this way, but it sometimes works this way. God, it's a, it's a miracle. I imagine them going to everyone in their uh, village and saying, it's a miracle. It's been 20 years, but we prayed, and it's a miracle. You ever have uh, one of your prayers that you've been praying for a long time get answered? And you know the feeling of, this is a miracle. Maybe you prayed that uh, you, you feel the pit of loneliness, and you've prayed, God, would you send me someone? And all of a sudden, you meet the one. And immediately, you know, this is the one. You know, the, the girl that when she walks in the room, it's like, um, remember that scene from Titanic where it's Celine Dion's on the radio and you just like, my heart will go on. Uh, it's, it's, you're, you're the king of the world. And it's like all of a sudden the prayer you prayed for was answered. That, that doesn't, is the Titanic too old of a reference? So I don't know modern references. Um, but have you ever had that moment where it's like the prayer was answered and the next thing you know, you're standing in a church and you're putting on the ring and you're making vows. This moment is a bit like that. Their prayer is answered and their and, and Rebecca gives birth to twins. Uh, now, my, my wife is a twin, and uh, she will talk about... Do we have any other twins in the room? You're, does any twin want to confess on behalf of their twin? Okay. Uh, the, my wife will talk about how her twin is her built-in best friend. Right? This is my built-in best friend. Uh, and that's how it's supposed to be with twins, right? It's, also, it's supposed to be with siblings. Um, but what we discover in this particular story is that these twins from the, from the gates have the odds stacked against them. Uh, I wrote in my notes, not only are they not great roommates, but they're not great womb mates. <laughs> they're going to laugh in the parking lot about that. You're like, that was funny. We groaned, but it was funny. Um, it, it's like they got the odds stacked against them from birth. That line, dad loved Esau, but mom loved Jacob. Have you ever... Don't raise your hands at this. Um, but have you ever felt unloved by a parent? Maybe not both of them, but one of them just felt like they just didn't have time for you. They didn't have space for you. Um, and what makes it even worse is what they named Jacob. Uh, Jacob is named, uh, dad chooses the name. And uh, the word Jacob means heel grabber. So like he sees him grab the heel and he's like, that's who he is. He's a heel grabber. Uh, now, uh, something important to know about names I don't think we've talked about this in the Genesis series yet, but this is a big deal. Names carry meaning beyond just how do I identify someone. So if you say, Tim, I turn because that's my name. But uh, most of us probably don't know the meaning of our name. It's just what people call us. 
But in the biblical worldview, your name was far more than just how you are, how you are identified. Your name carried with it your identity. The hidden inside of a name was, this is who this kid's going to be. This is who this kid is. Uh, the word name actually is, uh, in Hebrew, it's the word Shem. It means name or etching. It's like when your parents name you, they etch a legacy on you. And dad etches a legacy on his boy Jacob, whom we read, he loved Esau. And then there's Jacob. He etches this legacy on this boy. And he says to this boy, you're going to be a heel grabber. Your little heel grabber, that's who you are. And they speak a name over this little boy. And it's going to be a name that will, in many ways, attempt to set his destiny. And, uh, and I know we don't, names don't carry with it legacy anymore. Many of us don't know our names, but it still works a little bit like this, doesn't it? Words carry with them a certain level of power, even in our wor- world. Um, but there, my guess is some of you have had some names spoken over you that have attempted to define you. Uh, maybe it's a joke in a gym somewhere, but it was like that name was spoken over you and it like attempted to define you. Uh, as kids, we say the phrase, remember this one, uh, six and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or how about this one? Uh, somebody insults you and you say, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and it sticks to you. As kids, we learn really quickly that words actually really hurt. And so we develop all these elaborate defense mechanisms so that we don't actually have to like think about it. We have these slogans and these phrases that we say so that we don't actually have to, to realize that that actually really hurt. Um, as, a, as a middle schooler, I used to get mocked uh, as a middle schooler. And um, it's hard because like, you see... Uh, my kids are getting older, and I think about middle school and uh, on all the challenges. And as a parent, no matter how much you love your kids, you can't control what other kids say about your kids and what they absorb inside them. And uh, I, um, I, I uh, didn't like who I was as a middle schooler. I didn't like how I looked. I didn't like that I, I often would sit alone in the cafeteria, or I'd try to sit next to a group of people, and hopefully like they'd invite me in. Uh, and I didn't like how I, I used to get picked on. I had a nickname that somebody gave me. In, uh, uh, it was one of those nicknames that you don't want, um, but you don't know how to shake it. Uh, I was nicknamed in um, middle school Gonzo. Remember the, the character from Sesame Street with the nose? Uh, and uh, and yeah, I was a skinny kid with the same size nose. And I would sit, <laughs> it's a big nose. Uh, and I would sit in, uh, in school and I would kind of hide my, my, uh, my nose in my shirt. Um, or I would... I developed this. I still do this when I'm nervous. Um, somebody, my friends will call me out on this, but I will cover my face. And it was what I would do in middle school just because like, you know, like it, I just wanted to hide behind it. And um, sticks and stones, I break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, I don't think that's true. It's just not true, is it? Words, sticks and stones may break bones, but words can break your soul. Uh, I'm rubber, you are glue, whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Unfortunately, our soul is not like that, is it? Our soul is far less like rubber and far more like a sponge. And we absorb all sorts of things, words. Um, and we develop all these elaborate defense mechanisms so that we don't actually... Uh, I learned when in middle school that if I can laugh at myself first, that was my defense mechanism. If I can tell the joke first, if I can mock my nose first... If I can, uh, if I'm quickest to the punch, then, uh, then maybe they'll think I'm laughing with them and they're not laughing at me. That was a defense mechanism. 
Uh, and many of us, if we find if we make the comment about our weight first, uh, if we make the comment about our job that we don't really like first, if we make the comment about the insecurity, whatever the insecurity is, if we can go there first, um, maybe we, we develop these really elaborate defense strategies, do we not? Um, the truth is, we laugh, but we are wounded, and there is pain there somewhere. But it's not just the words that are spoken over us. Often it's the words that are spoken uh, about us to ourselves. Uh, I find this to be really true. Uh, I, I will sit with people and I'll, I'll, you know, we just begin talking and kind of processing whatever, what's the source of pain? What's going on? And uh, I hear this phrase a lot. I'm just, typically I'm just, like you're just this. I'm just, people will say, and then they'll fill it in with some label. I'm just dumb. I'm just crazy. I'm just lazy. I'm just uneducated. I'm just a liar. I'm just a cheater. I'm just a drunk or an alcoholic. And we tell ourselves these words and, uh, and slowly the words begin to define us. I think what you're going to see in the next 10 chapters or so in this story of Jacob is he is told that you're just going to be a heel grabber. And what you discover in Jacob is he's going to wrestle until the point where God will physically change his name with that identity of being a heel grabber. He's got moments where he seems like he's moving past it and then moments where he's like, I guess this is who I am. Single word spoken over a little, a little baby uh, sought to define who he is. I wonder... Uh, if this is the moment where these twins, who are supposed to be these built-in best friends, like there's a divide, just a word. Uh, notice what happens next in the story. Uh, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he's called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Now, a birthright is an inheritance. It is uh, money and property and stuff. So birthright is uh, the stuff you own. Sell me your birthright, he says. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank and he got up and he left. So, so Esau despised his birthright. Now, uh, the rabbis will tell us that this story most likely happened sometime around, and biblical scholars will tell us, this happened sometimes, sometime around the age of 15. Why do they believe that? Uh, because lentil stew is the traditional meal still to this day in many Jewish culture, uh, in much of Jewish culture. It is the traditional stew of, uh, or the, or the meal of mourning. And the story that happens right before this is Grandpa Abraham has just died. And when Grandpa Abraham dies, the boys are roughly 15 years old. So they'll link the two stories and say, good, there's a good chance that the background to this whole story, this whole sell the birthright thing, uh, is two twin boys who are 15 years old, whose grandpa has just died. It's a funeral. And that puts the story into perspective a little bit, doesn't it? I, I, know, I know I can read the story and say, look at Esau. Look how melodramatic Esau is. Like, oh, so my whole, my whole birthright just for some stew. I propose to you that Esau is not necessarily just being melodramatic. He's being 15. And he's being a 15-year-old who's just lost his grandpa. Uh, 
like as kids, we process death differently, right? We process death differently. Remember the first time you thought about dying? Remember the first time somebody in your life died uh, and how that rack, like, probably wrecked you a little bit? Uh, when I was in college, once again, I went to Hope College. Um, I had eight really close friends. We lived together. I'll show you a picture, but don't judge me for the picture. Um, this is, I don't know, I think we were going to a formal dance of some sort. Um, I'm the, I don't, yes, I'm that guy um, in that picture. <laughs> I live with eight, these eight guys, and uh, I know it's blurry. By the way, kids, um, this is before you could take a billion pictures to get the right one. We had little cameras that we bought, and we turned a little wheel, and you had 25 of them. And you had to make them last, and you got one picture, but you couldn't see the picture until you turned that camera into a guy at Meyer, and Meyer guy would then process the film, and then you'd come back, and then it'd be sitting there, your pictures, and then you'd see your pictures and be like, well, that's it. Uh, this is the only picture I could find. Um, I, I grew up, uh, I was born in the 1900s. <laughs> this is an old, old guy. Um, there'll be a day, by the way, where you're sitting in church with your, with your ski goggles, and you'll be, you'll be the old guy being like, I remember when we were young, and we'd take pictures like this, and now you all just kind of record every, every detail. You've seen Apple ski goggles. They're coming. Um, anyway, this is my eight guys. Uh, we lived in a, uh, a house together, three-bedroom house, eight guys, one bathroom. You can imagine. Um, we, but we got really, really close. Uh, these are some of my best friends. Um, now, the guy on the left here, you can barely see his face because, again, we couldn't pose. We didn't know. Um, but he's standing back here. Uh, that, his name is Jim. And uh, Jim and I lived in the same room for two out of the four years of college. And then we got an apartment after that uh, to get just the two of us. Um, and Jim uh, and his, his now wife, Julia, uh, they got married. Right? He's the first in our friend group to get married. And at the age of 24, they had uh, a child. And they were the first in our friend group to have a kid. Jim calls us when I was 25, 26. And he said, I, I got I, I to gotta let you guys know that I went to the doctor and they found a lump um, and uh, uh, it's cancer. And um, now just, he's fine now. Okay, so they caught it really. Um, but he, it was cancer. And uh, we then get the guys together. We're all kind of scattered now around the world. Um, and we get us together and we, we go out to Jim's house where he's got a newborn. And... Um, and we, we pray over our friend and we tell stories and we say, you're going to fight it. You're going to beat it. All the things. Um, but internally, uh, I just remember the very first moment where I had the realization that this life is short and it could go at any minute. Uh, up until this point, life was going on forever. We made dumb decisions because we'll live forever. But all of a sudden I had this realization that it doesn't go on forever. I wonder if Esau is feeling a bit of that. Like, Grandpa's dead? Just give me the stew. Like, life is short. Just give it to me. And this is also the first time we see Jacob really living into the legacy of his name. He manipulates the situation. He steals it from his brother and manipulates him emotionally. Uh, the, the wound that begins as a word is now growing. Now, uh, if you got your Bible, turn to chapter 27. Uh, this story takes place 25 years later. Jacob and Esau are now 40, and uh, things are going to begin to really unravel in chapter 27. Uh, so chapter 27 records the, this elaborate plot between Rebekah and Jacob 
to uh, plot against uh, Esau and dad Isaac. And the goal of the plot is to steal Esau's blessing. So he's already stolen the birthright. The birthright's about property, stuff, money, inheritance. The blessing is a bigger deal than the birthright, at least in this family. The blessing goes all the way back to Abraham, grandpa. Uh, and when God says to Abraham, your family line is going to extend, is, is meant, count the stars, count the sand of the beach shore. Your family line is going to be that. You're going to be a nation. And I'm partnering with you. That's, that's the blessing. He's already stolen the birthright. Now he wants to steal the blessing. And if you know the story, he concocts this elaborate plan where he dresses up like, uh, like Esau. He tricks him. Tricks dad. Dad's losing his eyesight. Tricks dad. Uh, by pretending to have Esau's voice, by wearing Esau like, like hair, which is weird, but he tricks him. And he disguises himself. And dad falls for the plan. And dad blesses Isaac. Or I'm sorry, Jacob. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, why doesn't Isaac just say, hey, you tricked me. I wasn't going to give that to you. I'm giving that to Esau. Um, Understand in the first century world or in the the ancient world, uh, a man's word was everything to him. If you blessed your son and you promised him this thing, you don't go back on your word. And uh, they understood that when you gave that blessing, God himself is going to make sure that blessing happens. That's how strong your word was. Now, that's the, that's the background of the story. Let's pick up on the moment after all this happens. And Esau is found out that his blessing has been stolen. This is one of the passages. When I say that the story will touch it, will touch your heart, this is uh, one of those passages. Verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him, And Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of the game, some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently. Because that's kind of what it feels like to be betrayed, isn't it? Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and a bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me too, my father. Bless me, me too, my father. Can you feel the heartbreak of this moment? Uh, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taking my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. Do you hear the pain in that story? Uh, the, The repetition of my father, my father. Bless me too, my father. Do you only have one blessing, my father? 
Now, the, the story doesn't end there. There'll be this process of forgiveness, uh, an attempt at reconciliation. God's going to give Jacob a new name. Jacob's going to have to wrestle with the wounds. Uh, all of that's to come. But my temptation is to jump ahead to that. Uh, my temptation is to jump ahead to the happy ending. Um, but Esau is not going to have the luxury. And Jacob is not going to have the luxury. They're going to have to wait years for this story to resolve. And so uh, instead of jumping ahead, I just want to leave us in this spot this morning. Um, some pain doesn't go away immediately. Some pain, need, you need a process. You got you to gotta sit with it. And sometimes the best way we can honor the thing that happened to us is to recognize that God meets us in it, in the middle of it. Um, because sometimes the prayer is answered and uh, you meet her and Celine Dion's on and you're king of the world. And sometimes the prayer is answered and you're putting the ring on her finger and you're standing in a church saying vows. And then there are other times where you find yourself taking the ring off of your finger. Sometimes the prayer is answered uh, and sometimes you find yourself curled up in a couch reading an old book that meant something to you a long time ago. Sometimes the prayer is answered and sometimes you are sitting with a friend who's 24 with his newborn daughter and you are praying that, God, would you please take the cancer away? We want to rush to the happy ending. I found myself the other day sitting in Qdoba, outside of Qdoba, and reading the story of this son who felt forsaken by his father and, um, and all of the pain that would come with it. And I found myself, there's like a voice inside me uh, said, said to me, Tim, what did you think the cross was all about anyway? What, what did you think the cross was all about? You ever notice how eerily similar the words of Jesus are on the cross to Esau's words? My father, my father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, uh, and just like Jacob received what Esau deserved, we received what Jesus deserved. We, we deserve for, the, for what we do to each other. We deserve punishment. We deserve, we deserve, we know ourselves. We deserve to be outcast. We deserve maybe even death. Um, but Jesus receives what we deserve, and we get what he deserves. We get life. What did you think the cross was all about? And unlike uh, Esau, who gets tricked into it, uh, we are told that Jesus chooses it. He chooses the cross. Uh, the most common question I get when people go through something really hard uh, is the question, why me? Why is this happening to me? Um, but I find a more helpful quest, set of questions is, is what now? God, where are you in this? What did you think the cross was all about? God is in the middle of it with us. Uh, I believe God wants to calm the storm. I believe God wants to give you your, your, your dreams. I do. But I also think God wants you to, to identify him in the storm. Uh, there's a, uh, a picture that on my first day in the office, uh, when I was a brand new pastor at Vreesland Church, my, um, my boss and mentor at the time, Tim Rotman, uh, had this hanging in his office. And I, it caught my eye right away. And I asked about the picture. And he says, this for me is a reminder that sometimes there will be storms in life. And yet the lighthouse is strong. In fact, if you look at the picture, I'll zoom in on it for you. If you look at the picture, there's a guy in the lighthouse. And he looks kind of relaxed. He's got his hand in his pocket, leaning against the lighthouse. 
We don't get to control the storm, but we can take refuge in the one who is stronger. We don't get to, we can pray that God would set us free from the storm, absolutely. Um, But in the middle of it, it is enough to know that God hides us and protects us inside of a, of a strong lighthouse. We're going to take communion this morning. Uh, and communion is uh, this opportunity, this moment, for you to recognize that God has, has met you in everything you needed. Even if right now your heart is breaking, God meets you in the middle of it. Uh, now, um, we've got a handful of stations in the front with gluten-free option on the edges. And uh, Rob, it'll be in the back to serve you. If you uh, would like um, him to come to you, just please like, raise your hand when you catch eyes with him, and he would love to serve you. Um, we take the, the bread, and you will dip it in the cup and take individually. Um, but allow this moment to be a moment in which you reconnect with God. Maybe the pain has tried to pull you from God. Allow this moment to be a moment where you say, God, I need to reconnect. Uh, Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, even thinking about the wound uh, brings us into some really hard spaces. And uh, Lord, for so many of my friends in this room, they have been carrying things for far too long that have been seeking to define them. Names that were spoken over them, identities that were given to them. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you would you would begin the process of setting us free. Um, But Lord, would we begin this morning simply by recognizing that no matter what life brings our way, no matter how much the enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy, you have come to give life. Would we find ourselves, even as the storm rages around us, uh, hidden inside of a strong lighthouse? Jesus, we love you and we pray this in your name. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And as we shift our in-person gatherings to our summer schedule, you'll find our service streamed live at 10 a.m., And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.